There was once a young boy who, every time his mother served peas for dinner, he would take more peas than anyone else in the family. He would load up his plate with peas, and he would shovel them down, voraciously eating the peas, religiously eating his peas. His mother began to take notice, and one day asked her son, Son, I didn't know that you loved peas so much. And the son lovingly looked up at his mother and said, I hate peas. His mother was confused and said, But son, you take more peas than anyone else at dinner time, and you eat them as if they are your favorite thing. You don't like them at all? I hate them. Then why do you eat so many peas? And the son thoughtfully looked into his mother's eyes and said, Because of the song that we sing at Christmas. Sleep in heaven, eat peas. Sleep in heaven, eat peas. I want to go to heaven someday, mother. So I always eat my peas. The child was, of course, referring to Silent Night, which that famous verse ends in, Sleep in heaven, leave peace. He had misheard. He had misinterpreted. He thought, sleep in heaven, eat peas, was a dogmatic clause, and that the only way he could enter into eternal bliss was to eat this food which he despised so much. We all in our childhoods, and perhaps some of us even in our adulthoods, have misread or misinterpreted scripture. I remember when I was younger, I first heard the parable of the talents as told by Jesus in the gospel today, and I thought the talents which he referred to were talents, innate skills, things that we were just gifted to be able to do, never having really worked towards them, just able. Some people can sing, some people can dance, some people can paint, some people can bake. Oh, what a talent that is. And they do it without seemingly any effort whatsoever. I was sure that the talents referred to in this parable were those kinds of talents. I was incorrect. The talents being referred to in this parable are in fact a unit of financial measurement. It is quite frequent in Scripture that we hear financial terms being used metaphorically to suggest a deeper spiritual significance. In fact, when I looked at the passages for this Sunday morning, I realized that all of them were chock full of financial terms being utilized to indicate spiritual reality. In the book of Judges, the people of Israel have turned on God again. And so God has sold them into the hands of their enemies. Sold them. What a strange term to use. Is God bartering with the enemies of Israel? Is he receiving money like a mercenary so that they can be plundered for 20 years' time? No. The word sold here a financial term is meant to suggest to us the transaction that is taking place spiritually. The people of God chose to turn their backs on God. 
And so God has given them into the hands of their enemies. What is he going to receive in exchange for this transaction? Discipline. The people of Israel in this instance needed to be disciplined, to remember, to make right choices, to turn their backs on their wicked ways and return to God. They received a spiritual gift of discipline in this financial metaphor. In his letter to the Thessalonians, Paul writes about the great and terrible day of the Lord, which is coming like a thief in the night. We don't often think about the term thief as a financial term, but what else could it be? A financial reality is taking place when a thief comes in the night and takes the things that you've earned. But unlike being sold, there is no return. There is no transaction taking place. A thief comes in and takes and leaves nothing behind. This profoundly negative financial term is being applied to the day of the Lord. We don't often think of things associated with the Lord as being profoundly negative. And yet elsewhere in Scripture we can read, in one of the prophets I think, Do not hope for the day of the Lord, for it shall be darkness and not light. It will be great and terrible. And indeed, Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, is emphasizing this darkness, not light metaphor by indicating that we, who are not thieves, should prepare ourselves for those who might take what is ours by being people of the day, people of the light, and not of the darkness. This financial term, this metaphor of the thief in the night, indicates that we should be prepared spiritually. Indeed, we are about to enter the season of Advent, which is all about preparing for the coming of the Lord, both at Bethlehem and at the great and terrible day of the Lord. The parable of the tenants has a couple rather interesting financial terms to it, and I think we should tackle the hardest one first. When we hear the word slave, slaves, slavery, we don't think about finances. In this country, we have a terrible history with the concept of slavery. It was a dehumanizing of life. It was a cavalcade of civil rights abuses and human rights abuses that continued on even after emancipation had taken place. American slavery is so horrible that we recoil at the word when we hear it even in scripture. And yet, I am here to assure you and encourage you that Jesus in this passage is not encouraging that kind of slave. Far from it. Indeed, at the time that Jesus lived, and even long before then, slavery was simply yet another financial reality. These days, if you run out of money, if you go into debt, if, if you can't pay for the things that you need to survive, there are programs and, and situations, bankruptcy and, and organizations that can help you in those 
dire straits. But in ancient Israel and even in the Roman Empire, if one had no money, one became part of a financial class called slaves. Slaves gave their labor to individuals or households. They sold themselves into a state of slavery. And then, whether in the Roman Empire, where you could eventually work your way out, or in ancient Israel, where there was a certain day, a day of jubilee, where not only were you released from slavery, you also got all of your inherited land back, there was always a way to stop being a slave, to escape the financial reality. So these slaves that Jesus is referring to are not people who are being mistreated or devalued. They are people participating in a financial system which hopefully, at some point, they will be able to work their way out of. Our spiritual lesson in this kind of slavery is that of redemption, which also is a financial term. We often forget it being so ubiquitous a term within our faith, but redemption, the concept of being redeemed, that Christ is our redeemer, is a financial metaphor. Christ has paid for our debts, our debts of sinfulness to a holy God. He has purchased our debt with his blood, and we are his. We belong to him. He is our master, and we are his slave. And yet, I don't think we necessarily want to work our way out of it. I think we would rather, for love of our master, remain slaves too for the rest of our lives. So what then are the talents? The talents which gave me so much confusion as a youth. What are these things for us to interpret spiritually rather than financially? Well, a talent at the time, as I said, was a unit of measurement. Depending on the kind of thing being measured, it would be somewhere around 75 pounds. So 75 pounds of gold, 75 pounds of silver. Maybe it was a, a different commodity like uh, dates or figs or wheat, some other kind of grain, different commodities being traded at certain weights. A talent was around 75 pounds. And in today's economy, 75 pounds of gold, a talent would be about $25,000. So these were no ordinary slaves we were talking about. These were trusted members of the master's household. He gave five talents to one, entrusted him with $125,000. To another he gave about $50,000, and then he gave $25,000 to the third. These are, are clearly trustworthy members of the master's home. And then they went and they traded with these commodities. The first made another five talents, another $125,000 for his master. $125,000 plus $125,000, he returned to his master. Well done, good and faithful. Enter into the joy of your master. In other words, you're part of the family. No longer a slave, but my brother, my friend, 
my beloved, my trustworthy partner in my business. The other slave, 25,000, 50,000, 100,000, 100,000 he made for his master. Master, of course, well done, good and faithful slave, you will be entrusted with much more than this. Become not just my slave, my partner, my friend, my buddy. Enter into the joy of your master. We're going to have a great time. And the third said, it always seemed kind of harsh to me, so I didn't do anything with it. I buried it. I hid it. I took this talent, this 75 pounds of gold, this $25,000. I'm like, I'm going to keep this hidden so nothing bad happens to it. Master didn't like that. Cast into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. How are we to interpret the talents? How do we take this financial reality, this financial terminology, and translate it into spiritual terms? What is the spiritual reality? of the metaphor of the talents. Well, I thought long and hard about this. I consulted the scripture over and over again. I thought and I pondered and I wondered and I paced back and forth until suddenly I realized the talents are talents. I was right all along from my youth. I knew these talents must be talents. What else could talents be but talents? Never mind all those big numbers that I have difficulty multiplying even from the pulpit. The talents in youthful simplicity are simply that. Gifts that our master gives to us to invest in a world to make it better. To return to him two, five, tenfold and say, Look, master, at what I have done with what you gave me. Whether you sing whether you dance, whether you paint, whether you cook, whether you serve, whether you calculate much better than I do in your head, all these amazing gifts that God has given to us are to be used to serve one another, to encourage and make life better for the people around us, our families, our friends, and especially strangers. Do not hide your light under a bushel, Jesus taught us, his slaves. But instead, let your light shine that men may glorify your Father in heaven. Even if we don't necessarily want to share what has been given with us, like the third slave, even then, we are encouraged to share with one another Freely you have received, Jesus said to his disciples. Freely give. If you have a talent, share it with others. Even if you don't necessarily want to. That is the lesson of the parable of the talents. That is the culmination of all this financial terminology within Scripture. We who have been given so much even if we don't necessarily want to eat the peas that have been placed on the plate before us, 
have a responsibility as slaves of our master to share what has been given to us. Amen.